recommend the reading of the word of the Lord. I want you guys please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your holiness, Lord. Thank you for your grace in saving us. Because it's something we couldn't have done ourselves. And Father, we thank you for this church family that we get to be a part of. How we get to worship together on this morning. And it's a beautiful morning for us. But for so many people, Father, especially in the Bahamas, Lord, it has not been great at all for them. So we pray for them right now, Father, for your healing, for your mercy and your grace to just fill them. Let us know what we can do in order to help them out, because they are believers there as well, and as well as the unbelievers, Father. We pray for all of their hearts. Let us be a light, Father, for them in a dark place. But ultimately, Father, let your sun shine brightly so that salvation may come and their hearts may be encouraged. So as we gather today to hear your word preached, Father, we thank you for being able to hear the word sung, sung together, Father, as we worship you. We thank you for the worship team. And we thank you for Pastor Matthew, Father, and his family, as he is just always ready, Father, to serve you. He's always ready to serve the church family. And we pray at this time just for a clarity of mind and a clarity of heart. Because there are always so many attacks that try to come, Father, especially when the truth is here, Father. Especially when a pastor wants to study your word, wants to give the congregation the truth, wants to live in community, Father. So we thank you, Father, for this wonderful church. And we pray today that, that you just accept, Father, our meditation, Father. So we thank you, Father, again. So let this word fall upon our hearts, Father. Awaken our eyes. Awaken our hearts. Let our ears hear, let the distractions be minimal, and let you be glorified. It's in your name, in your son's name, we pray for all these things. Amen. All right. Thank you so much, Donnie. I appreciate that. All right. We ready to study God's word? Awesome. All right. Let's do it. We got Acts chapter 17, and um, this is sort of like a prequel to the next series we're doing, uh, which will be, uh, we're going to go through the book of First Thessalonians. And so this is sort of the history of how the Thessalonian church got started. And uh, we're, we're calling it Vision Sunday, and uh, a lot of times you, you hear us talk about mission, gospel groups go. You haven't heard us talk so much about vision, which is where, where is the church going as we look at the next, you know, three years, next five years, next 10 years? Where, where is, if we're all in a boat together, right, where is the boat heading? And, uh, and we know what we're doing on the boat. We're making disciples and we're reaching out to folks uh, who are, you know, quote unquote, drowning. And we're grabbing them on the boat, you know, but, but where is the boat heading? And so that's what vision means, a picture of the future. And so, um, so we're talking about not just building a great church, but a great city. We believe that God has called us to continue to reach our city, to continue to plant churches that will impact our city and really around the globe. And so it's an important day. So as we're in this uh, passage here in Acts uh, chapter 17, we're going to navigate this. But I, I wonder if you guys uh, are like me. You know, I'm, I'm usually talking through some movies and, um, and, and for whatever reason, uh, I like those. And uh, so I saw this past week. With my older kids and my wife, Aquaman. Is there any Aquaman people in here? Anybody saw Aquaman? Okay. 
All right, so don't be ashamed. It's all right. There we go. All right, cool. All right. It wasn't all that great. Uh, it wasn't all that great. Um, it's, it's not a Marvel movie. It's DC, so that just you know brought it a notch down. Anyways, not quite Lord of the Rings or anything like that. Um, but let me tell you just the kind of the basic premise of Aquaman, right? Is is that uh, there there are these different races of people. There's the Aqua people, and then they got a five billion different races. And then there's the humans on land, and uh, and one of the Aqua people. Uh, runs away from an arranged marriage and falls in love with the human. And uh, they have a child who's like half human, half Aquaman, half merman. Uh, I guess calling him a merman is not manly, uh, so they call him Aquaman. So that's cool. Um, and, um, but, but he has these great powers. He has this great calling upon his life. Uh, but he just want, wants to kind of you know, do his own thing and, and, and just stay on earth. He doesn't want to uh, get involved in all the skirmishes um, of of the clashing of worlds because the aqua people are mad that we're polluting the waters and, and, and dumping all kinds of trash in there. And, and they're ready to start a, a worldwide war against uh, the humans on land. And he's like, just kind of content. He, he loves humans as well. He'll help rescue people kind of sometimes. And, uh, but anyhow, he gets drawn into this and they're trying to say, Hey, you, you have a role. You're, you're, you're actually supposed to be the king um, because you're from Royal blood, man. And, and, and and we've got this guy who's kind of a wicked king right now, and, and you're, you're supposed to come and take the gold and say, we believe you're the only one who can do it and all this sort of stuff. But there's a, there's a, there's a calling upon your life. There is something you're, you're supposed to do to help the world. And, um, and why do we get drawn into movies like that? I mean, because it's really the same plot. Every movie, I mean, you know, whether it's Spider-Man or uh, the Avengers, it's the same plot line no matter what. It's like, hey, there's a great problem. There's great evil. And you have a role to come help us, right? Fairy tales are the same way. Why do we love fairy tales, right? Everybody loves fairy tales. No, people sometimes act like we grow too old, you know. But man, I kind of enjoy sitting down, watching some some little Cinderella. I'm not ashamed to admit it. Um, and uh, I love Frozen. And um, now it, it's got a little played out after a while. Then we can talk through all those movies. And I have more girls in my house than boys, so that's why I gotta keep my, my other side going there when I watch the, the Marvel movies. But one writer has said the reason why we love fairy tales so much is because God has placed that story in our hearts and, and the world and those who are writing these stories, they know that, that I mean, there's a desire in every human heart to be caught up in something bigger than themselves. Have you noticed that? The reason why we love these, these movies and we spend money on them is because there's something inside of us that says, man, I I think I was made for more than just existing, for taking up air and space. I feel like maybe there's a purpose for my life. John Eldridge, um, a pastor and author, he actually quotes another author called Frederick Beekner, and he talks about this uh, wonderful um, truth called telling the truth, the gospel as tragedy, comedy, and fairy tale. The world of the gospel is a world of fairy tale, with one notable exception, he says. It is a world of magic and mystery, of deep darkness and flickering starlight. It is a world where terrible things happen, but wonderful things happen too. Have you noticed that? Terrible things happen. Hurricanes come and communities and cities and nations get devastated. And beautiful things happen. People get married and fall in love. Children are born. People sacrifice and give money to help those who are broken. There are, there are, there are you know, the, the same uh, weather that, that brings us hurricanes 
that, that are, make us fearful brings us gorgeous sunsets and sunrises. There, there is this strange mixture of these two things, he says. He says, it is a wonderful world where goodness is pitted against evil, love against hate, order against chaos. And in a great struggle where often it is hard to be sure who belongs on which side because appearances are usually deceptive. Yet for all this confusion and wildness, it is a world, watch this, where the battle goes ultimately to the good, who live happily ever after. That's why we love those things. And where in the long run, everyone, good and evil, all alike, becomes known by his or her true self, by his or her true name. That is why we love fairy tales. And the gospel is so important, of course, with one crucial difference from all other fairy tales, which is that the claim made for this tale is true. That it not only happened once upon a time, that it didn't happen in a galaxy far, far away. It happened in Bethlehem. And it has been happening in lives and hearts of people throughout every generation and every society, in every nation, in every tribe, in every tongue. And it's still happening today as God brings new life to people through his son, Jesus Christ. And new people join the army of light, the kingdom of light. Amen? That is the larger story. Who are the players in the story? What is the battle going on? We discover, really, it's the oldest story in the world. That's why every uh, nation loves to tell these sort of stories. He goes on to talk about um, learning to think mythically and that we won't really understand our lives, right? You won't understand your lives. You think, oh, I've just got problems with my spouse. You think, oh, I've just got a headache. You think, oh, I just got this diagnosis, and, and why am I going through this? Or my kids just got uh, this going on. And he says, we don't realize there's a larger story at play. Satan is working every day, and God is working every day. And so your headache, your squabbles between siblings and family members are not just mere squabbles. They are a part of a larger view of reality, as he says. And uh, in the, uh, I don't know if you remember, but the Lord of the Rings, cute little hobbits, just peaceful little people that live in the Shire. And, um, and he's called to take this ring that, that is uh, an evil ring. It's really a picture of sin. It's a burden. It destroys whoever has it. And, um, but this is how the opening lines of the, the, the movie preview when it says about this cute little Frodo. And um, it says, fate has chosen him. A fellowship will protect him. If you're familiar with the movie, there's, there's a group of different races that come along little Frodo to help protect him. And it says evil will hunt him. And I need you to know, ladies and gentlemen, that, man, that's our lives. God has chosen each of us to fulfill a unique calling and purpose, and, and you can only fulfill the role that God made you to do, and I can only fulfill my role. God has designed a fellowship to be around us, to protect us, and there is an enemy. And we see that all clearly in this same passage. And so I need you to know that there is a vision for your life, for my life, that is greater than just the normal run-of-the-mill stuff that God is using you in all kinds of ways. And so let's look back at the text. We'll, we'll talk about how can you participate in the vision, God's vision, local vision here at Plaza, and God's big vision in the world. And so, number one, you could write this down. Remember that the gospel is our motivation. How can you participate in the vision, how can you participate in a life bigger than yourself? Remember that the gospel is our motivation. 
The gospel is the good news of Jesus. I'm so grateful as, as we met with our community group and we talked about this very question. What is the gospel? Starts with God, right? And who he is and he created us. Then And then, man, we broke. We broke this world. We invited. We opened up Pandora's box and sin has come in and caused destruction. And we walked away from God. We stiff-armed him. That's the O. You could use an acronym for gospel, God. And then our sin, right? O and S. Our sin has ruined everything. Then there's a payment, the letter P, right? There's a payment that needs to be made for sin. There's an eternal payment because we have ran across God's good and perfect laws. You ever broken some laws? Oh, I'm the only one in here that broke laws? Okay, all right. Because I just need y'all to know, I know some of y'all knew already, but I got pulled over last Sunday on the way to church. And I was just hiding. I was just hiding like, Lord, please don't let anybody from the church sit here right now because it's going to be so embarrassing. I'm just like on South Plaza Trail like this. And my kids are just, you know, dead, dead. what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And I was right near Miss Doreen's house and I, I was, I was, I was going to pull into her driveway and just run in there and, and, and plead for her to protect me. And because um, she has a way, Miss Doreen has a way of talking to young, handsome police officers that maybe he would show mercy. But but he showed mercy. on He showed no mercy on me uh, is what I'm trying to say, actually. And um, but why? Because I transgressed the law. I broke the law. I can't be like, why, why, why are you doing this? You're so mean to me. I broke the law. I knew it was the law. There's a payment for that. We know and understand that we don't like it. Right. How much more so for the perfect God, the creator of the universe? We have, we have turned away from his good and kind rules, rules that are meant for our good, and stiff-armed them, waved at them with one finger and said, no, I will do life on my own terms, and I don't need you or want you. And we have all done that. We've all been guilty. The Bible says that very clearly. And so the gospel is our motivation. That's payment. But here's the deal. The part of that payment is that God sent Jesus to pay that for us. And he's willing to make a trade. He's willing to say, I paid your ticket. I wish he would pay my ticket that I got to pay. He said, you're going to learn from your sins back in. And so, but he paid the ultimate ticket, right? He paid the ultimate fine. All of our sins can be wiped away because of the blood of Jesus. And then everyone, everyone is invited to the table. That's the E. Everyone is invited to the table. Doesn't matter who you are, your background, what you've done, where you come from how rich or poor you are, what color, what race, what gender. Everyone is invited to God's table. What's the requirement? You just turn and come back to the table. You come back home. You come to your father who loves you. And what, and what do you get? Everyone gets L, life. Life eternal, life abundant here. That's the gospel. And that is our motivation for everything that we do. Because God has so loved us, has rescued us from our sin, from our chains and set us free, how could we not? desire to take part in his mission. Amen. This is our foundation. Read with me the first couple verses of Acts chapter 17 says this. Now, when they had passed through Amphilius and Apollina, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue. You see all those names there that we don't even know how to pronounce. I appreciate Donnie, right? Just, just running through those, right? And, um, we don't know how to pronounce those. Why are they going to these places? This is the Apostle Paul, and he's got some companions with him. And, and they had been traveling around the world telling the story of Jesus. They had been changed so much. 
Paul said about himself, I am the chief of all sinners. I'm the worst of all the sinners in the world because I have, have done evil and wicked things. I have hunted people, hunted down Christians and attacked them and had their families thrown in jail. I'm the chief of all sinners. And yet God still chose to love me. And now he can't help but go and spread this. So he's going from town to town. He made one missionary journey uh, a while back, and then he backtracked and started some churches. And now he's on his what we call the second missionary journey. He's hitting these places here. And actually, before this, this would all be like uh, the Middle East and what we call modern-day Turkey. But then he got um, to a stopping place in Turkey back in an earlier chapter of Acts, and he couldn't go any further. And he says, God and the Holy Spirit wouldn't allow me to go into what they called Asia that day. We would call it Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And so he got this dream, this vision, a call. We call it the Macedonian call. You guys ever heard of that? Macedonian is the area we call now uh, uh, Greece and where Thessalonica is. And he got this call. And so he went across the sea there and, and started to preach in these places. Why did he do that? Because he was motivated, not because of money, not because of fame and popularity. He's motivated. Why? Because of the gospel had changed his life. Because God had picked him up and set him on a rock. He said, I can't help but tell others about this and let the world know God is declaring forgiveness and amnesty, his love, letting them know how he loves us. Like the song we just sang, right? You can be forgiven. You can be restored to your creator. There was a missionary who started the China Inland Mission. His name was Hudson Taylor. He lived in the 1800s and, and died in, uh, in 1905. He was a radical missionary. And a radical missionary went at the age of 21 to China. Now, this is before the Internet, right? They didn't even know what was over there before. All kinds of TVs had no clue what was you know, ready for him in China. In China, at that time, they had just gone through uh, some, some different wars and all that sort of stuff. But he wanted to share the gospel, the good news of the peace, people of China, and, and to let them know of, of the love of Christ. So he left at 21 years of age, got on a boat, and, and sailed there and, and founded what's called the China Inland Mission, still in existence. Uh, today and um, but Hudson Taylor um, was radical because man he he um, he didn't act like the regular missionaries of the day. The regular missionaries didn't go down and spend time with the average Chinese people. Instead, they hobnobbed with the rich diplomats and the fancy people from other countries uh, because those people paid them a lot of money and said, "Hey, you speak the language of the people and you speak our language. We'll pay you lots of money to be our translator." And uh, and and the missionaries got away from gospel work. And, uh, and just hobnob with the rich people. And, uh, and, and Hudson Taylor said, man, that's not right. And, uh, and he said, you know, these people, these Chinese people, they've got to be able to understand us and their language and their culture. So he began to dress like them. And, and the, you know, the, 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 the fancy Americans and, and, and rich English men and other missionaries were like, we can't dress like them. They are savages, you know, how that kind of stuff goes. You know, don't you do that. Don't belittle yourself. You are too good to dress like them. He said, no, we are the same as these people. We're here just to proclaim the love of Christ. And, and he began to grow like a little China man mission uh, uh, beard. And he grew a little pigtail just so, so he could say, look, I'm just like you. I got a little different skin tone. And, um, but, he, but he began to preach. But as, as God blessed uh, the China Inland Mission, he began to, to just, man, expound upon as more missionaries came. And he just set these amazing goals. And, and missionaries continued to come. And, uh, but as he was interviewing potential candidates, one of the questions, he would meet with them and he would say this, why do you wish to be a missionary? One would say, I want to go because Christ has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation. Another would say, I want to go because millions are perishing without Christ 
Others gave different answers. And then Hudson Taylor said, all these are not a good enough motivation. Wait, millions perishing? That's not a good enough motivation? I, God has commanded us? That's not good enough motivation? He said, no. Those won't sustain you and the difficulties and the evil that's going to come against you. Hudson Taylor lost a number of children uh, on the mission field, lost a wife, dealt with his own health issues, and, and died prematurely and, um, and, and struggled for many things. He said, there is one thing. One motive that will sustain you and not fail you in times of testings, trials, and tribulations, and even death that will come to you. What was the one motive? There is but one motive that will sustain you in trial and testing, namely the love of Christ. You've got to be motivated by love. You've got to be motivated by the gospel. When God has hit you so hard, you can't help but change. So that was Hudson Taylor. A man would come after him a few years later named C.T. Studd. I've quoted from him a number of times. He's got the, the, the famous quote that said, I'd, I'd, some want to run, a, um, you know, some want to live near a chapel bell, but I'd rather run a rescue mission within a yard of hell, right? And uh, C.T. Studd trained in uh, China with uh, Hudson Taylor and then went to India and then spent the rest of his time in Africa, and, and he died in 1930. But this is what he said. He said, I had known about Jesus dying for me, but I had never understood that if he had died for me, then I didn't belong to myself. Redemption means purchasing something back. That's what redemption means, right? How many of you ever gave something to somebody, and you're like, I shouldn't have given that to them? And you had to ask. We call it Indian giving, right? And uh, it's like, hey, I gave that to you for free. Can I get that back now? And uh, old school, old school language, they called it redemption, redeeming things, where you actually had to buy it back. And so uh, you had to purchase that back. It was yours. And you gave it away and you wanted it back, you actually have to buy it back. And so he says, redemption means buying back. God has bought us back from the devil, amen? And he paid a hefty price because he loves you and he loves me. He was willing to pay a price. He wasn't an Indian giver and be like, yo, can, can I get them back for free? That's not what he said to the devil. He said, no, I'll pay the highest cost. I'll pay with the blood of my one and only son. I'll trade my son for wicked and rebellious people. Man, what kind of love is that? I don't know. But anyhow, he says this. He said, either I had to be, uh, so, so that if I belonged to God, either I had to be a thief and keep what wasn't mine, in other words, my life, or else I had to give up everything to God. And when I came to see that Jesus had died for me, it didn't seem that hard at all to give up all for him. If Jesus Christ is God and he died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him because he already purchased me and gave me my life. He owns it. What a brilliant thing. And here we see Paul and his companions risking their lives. Look what happens in verse 2. Here's Paul's strategy. He goes to Thessalonica, which was a large uh, multicultural diversity. It was at crossroads of, of industry and trade. And then he goes to the synagogue where the people know the Old Testament. They know the story of Jesus. And he starts there. Verse 2. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, that's about three weeks, right? He reasoned with them from where? Where did he reason with them from? Okay, all right. Two of us are, are still awake. And um, it's on the screen, folks. And um, where did he reason with them from? The scriptures. Thank you. That's the foundation. God's word is the foundation. Not his opinion, not the preacher's opinion, not the rabbi's opinion, but God who gave us his perfect Words, so he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining 
and proving that it was necessary for the Christ or the Messiah, that's Jesus, to suffer. This is the gospel, y'all, to suffer on our behalf. And then that's not the end of the story, right? Aren't you so glad it's not the end of the story? Then what happens? And then rise from the dead. And then he said this, Jesus, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. And when you read the Old Testament, there's all these all these prophecies about Jesus. The whole Old Testament is, is telling the world, hey, there is a rescuer coming. There's a redeemer coming. We have messed up the world and we have blown it. But God is going to send someone to fix the sin problem. And he's coming. He's going to act like this. He's going to be like this. He's going to say this. And the whole Testament is, is just weaving the story. Some people call it a scarlet thread, right? All through the Bible pointing to Jesus. And so these Jews who are in their synagogues reading their scrolls, they knew that a Messiah would come one day. He says, the Messiah's come. His name is Jesus. He's here. Look at verse 4. And some of them were what? Some of them were persuaded, and they joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of devout Greeks, meaning non-Jews, but, but most likely probably converts to Judaism and just from a Greek background, and not a few of the leading women. That's an interesting statement there. It'd be a, a good number uh, of leading women there. Um, but then, man, what happened? What happened? Drama happened, didn't it? As I noted, as uh, these missionaries who have gone before us, there is always evil against us. Like little Frodo trying to carry the ring. There are ring wraiths chasing him down because if he accomplishes his mission, darkness is going to be vanquished and light and beauty and love is going to prevail. And he's going to rescue the Shire and all the innocent people. If Aquaman doesn't step up and fight this bad king, there's going to be a great war and lives are going to be lost. There is evil always working and lurking because Satan is trying to stop the advancement of God's kingdom. And so these guys became passionate about the proclamation of the gospel. So the gospel motivates us to press on and persevere even during hard times. Look at verse 5. It says this, verse 5. But the Jews were what? What were they? They were jealous. They were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble. Reach over and, and touch your neighbor and say, are you, are, are you from the rabble? Not, not are you Barney, not are you Barney Rubble from the Flintstones. Some of the young people got to look up on, on YouTube what the Flintstones are. And, um, and uh, so that's, that's okay. I just love that little phrase there, some wicked men of the rabble, some troublemakers. Some hoodlums, some gangsters, some thugs. Notice this. These guys are out preaching and encouraging people and telling people they can be forgiven. And these guys are jealous. And so they go pay thugs. They go pay thugs to attack them. You can see what's going on here. This is corrupt. This isn't just I don't like you. There is, as God and God's word would tell us, our battle is not against flesh and blood. There's always a greater thing happening in your life, even with sickness, even with small things. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. The enemies aren't the people. The enemies are not the Jews. It's, it's Satan behind them. So they formed, what did they form? A mob. And they set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jacob, Jason, seeking, seeking to bring him out of the crowd. Could you imagine if this happened to one of us? They didn't like us preaching the gospel and loving people and doing what we do in our communities and our neighborhoods. And they form a mob, folks. I need to let you know this is biblical. 
And so while we all enjoy our comfort and, and don't want to uh, navigate any discomfort, it's like, oh, I don't even know if the people at work will like me if at the water cooler I say something. Or, you know, people at school, like, I don't, if I just be like, you know, church, at you, at church. I went to a church this Sunday. You know, it's like a little, little thing. They, they might look at me weird. The Bible tells us there's a great mission going on here, and the enemy will come against us. And we need to be pre prepared for that, ladies and gentlemen. I don't like that any more than you do. But it reminds us there's a bigger picture here, and it's worth risking our lives for. So a mob, they set the city in an uproar. Look at verse 6. They thought that Paul and Silas were in Jason's house. Jason was a citizen of Thessalonica, and they could not find him, so they dragged Jason out. And some of the brothers who were with him there before the city authorities, shouting, these men have turned the world upside down, and they have come here also. Hey, if we were there, we could pause. We could pause, right? We could pause, and we could correct them. We could be like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you beat me, time out, time out. Time out. Just freeze for a second. Correction, sir. We are not turning the world upside down. We are turning it right side up. You guys have been listening the past 19 weeks. We were in the Sermon on the Mount. You've got it. It only took us 19 weeks. If you're new here, and uh, just join in, okay? We're, God has called us to turn the world right. We turned it upside down with our sin. And God has called his people to turn it right side back up to bring beauty and relationships restored and humanity restored and peace and love amongst his people. And so you could be like, hold on, time out. All right, now you can beat me. Um, just wanted to make that correction there. Notice what he says there as, as I try to find my, my verse. These men have turned the world upside down and they have come here also. And Jason, verse 7, and Jason has received them. That, that Jason, ugh. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another what? Another king. Is that a true statement? Yes, it is. That is exactly what they're saying. And his name is Jesus. There is another king. And his kingdom is coming. And people don't often like that. But we answer and we serve to one king only as Christians. And the people of the city and the authority, I'm in the, the next verse there, verse 8, the people of the city and authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. In fact, they were so disturbed that verse 9 says, but when they had taken some money of security from Jason and the rest, they did what? They, they were really disturbed at this, right? They were so disturbed. I got a 20. All right, you're cool. You're free to go. All right? You know, it's like, yeah, this was really bugging you. You can see where the heart of the people are. And again, this is why God has called Christians to rise up. And so our motivation is the gospel. That's point number one. Hard times will come. One old preacher had said, right, when Paul and Silas and Timothy and his companions and Mark, they go to a city, one of two things happen. Either revival breaks out or a riot breaks out. Because, man, the gospel oftentimes brings division. Why? Because there's an enemy of our souls. His name is Satan. And he is seeking to destroy families, to destroy marriages, to destroy children, to destroy anything that, that represents the image of God and the beauty of God. And he has his heart set on trying to destroy human beings. God has called us to be a part of that. So the gospel is our motivation, right? So notice this. When a riot happens and, and, and it looks like all is lost and nobody's believed and the story turns south, does that mean it's a failure? I imagine these guys, right? Here's Jason, right? Here's a new believer and these new believers at Thessalonica. And we're going to spend the next uh, fall really studying what happens in the Thessal Thessalonican 
you know, the Thessalonican, Thessalonican, if I'm Greek, Thessaloniki, right? And, um, right? We're going to study what happens here. But just imagine, here's the first couple weeks of these believers. And I've given my life to Christ, and now look what happens. These guys got to be discouraged, right? Does that mean there's a loss? Does that mean they failed? No. Not when our motivation is the gospel, because we don't work based upon what human eyes see as success. We work upon the fact that God loves me, and I still feel his love, and I'm just letting other people have that love. And if they beat me for that, that's okay, because it's not a failure. It's a success. And so the gospel is our motivation. It's supposed to be a short sermon. Point number two, that was just point number one, and uh, I'm just getting warmed up. Point number two is this. Remember that the gospel transforms. It's the gospel that transforms. It's not a preacher that transforms. It's not a person that transforms. It's not a program, right? As sometimes churches, we love to like, hey, what's the latest program we're going to do as a church? And oftentimes we'll trust in a program. Are you all with me? Or am I stepping on toes? Okay. We trust in a program instead of trusting in the person of Jesus Christ to change life. Instead of trusting in the gospel, say, oh, we got to do it this way. We, we always had this. Or and if we don't have that, people won't get saved. Really? God can't save people apart from our human-made programs? Southern Baptists are releasing a new program, right? And nothing wrong with programs. You understand me? I'm not saying anything wrong with them. I'm saying our trust is not in them because a program doesn't change anybody's life. You know what changes lives? Jesus, the preaching of the gospel, sets people free. So however we do that, there's a lot of ways to do that. It'll change over time. And so, man, it's Jesus who changes people. And so it's the gospel that transforms. So I'm going to turn over to the book of Thessalonians just real quick. I think we'll throw verse uh, 1 on the screen. Um, and it says this, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Pause right there, right? What do we have in Thessalonica when this letter was written? What do we have there? A church. Y'all got it. I didn't even underline it. Y'all got it. So y'all are awake. Y'all are doing good. Okay. To the church. To the church. First it was just Jason and a couple other people and, and some God-fearing Greeks and some prominent women. And they were abused and beaten. And now we see there's a church. How did that happen? In fact, uh, it tells us that, that Paul and those guys had to get out of town. They had to get out of town with the quickness. So they didn't even get to spend as much time as they wanted to there. How is that possible? Because it's the gospel that does it. It's the power of God that does it. It's the Holy Spirit that does it. It's the gospel that transforms. In, in verse uh, 9 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, it says this. Here's, here's, here's a report that they got back. It says, for they themselves report concerning us, the kind of reception we had among you, how you, the Thessalonican people, turned from, turned to God from what? Idols to serve the living and true God. Man, there was people turning away from their idols in the, in the, in the city there. There was all kinds of things happening. Why? Because they were faithful to preach the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a yellow sheet in your bulletin. I know you've been reading it. Some of you are like bored with the sermon and pastor stopped talking about fairy tales, so I read this. And so if you did, then, you know, you can take a brief nap. Um, if you didn't read it and, uh, and you were listening to my fairy tales, then, then we're going to check it out together. But this is our, our vision. This is nothing new. We've been talking about this for years. And um, uh, since I've been the pastor here, we've been continuing to talk about that. And so our mission, why do we exist? I just want to bring it back up here on our Vision Sunday. 
We exist, I say this every week, right? To make disciples by receiving the gospel, to grow disciples by gathering in groups and to go into the world to share the gospel while life exists. The vision, though, where are we going? What does it look like for us to win? We say this sometimes, uh, we'll share the vision on a Sunday, to be a multicultural church that welcomes all who are far from God, right? Everybody's welcome here. Young, old, different backgrounds, doesn't matter. That's what makes this place what it is. And then we make disciples who are equipped to make a difference in our city and the world for the glory of God. And so here's what that looks like specifically. We've numbered them here. Here's some of the, the dreams that we believe God has for this place. And we're seeing these things fulfilled even in our midst, just like Paul did with Thessalonica because of the faithful preaching of the gospel. Number one, it's the dream of a diverse Sunday morning gathering. That's happening right now, right? Look at us. Look at your neighbor. Look at all these beautiful people here. We're not all one size, one shape, one color. We're young. We're old. We're different genders. We're different races and cultural backgrounds. I love it. Don't you love it? It's beautiful. Man, we're gathered together, joyfully worshiping together. Sometimes we forget the words. Sometimes we don't know the words. It's all right. Respecting each other's differences and loving and serving one another. Man, I love it when that happens. And I, I love hearing about uh, how uh, people are serving one another throughout the week, not just showing up at church, but bringing meals and visiting one another in the hospital and calling one another, right? We, we call some folks you know, uh, to check on during the hurricane. And, and uh, one lady told me, oh, yeah, I already talked to so-and-so, 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 and so-and-so. I was like, okay, then. You don't need me, right? They, five people done checked up on you. You're good. All right, perfect. It's the dream, number two, of creating a place where the hurting, the depressed, the frustrated, the confused of our community can find new life in Christ, which comes only through what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. And God will use the love, the acceptance, the hope, the forgiveness, the guidance, and the encouragement that this body provides. He will use that, but it's primarily the gospel. Number three is the dream of sharing the gospel in our community and having 1,000 gospel conversations each year. It's a good reminder. Some of you are new here, and you're like, what are all these stickers back there? You guys have a fetish with stickers or something like that? What is the deal? No, those are for when, man, that's an opportunity for us to put those gospel conversations back there. So you have one, and, and man, you share the love of Christ with somebody, put that on the sticker back there. Put it on the wall because it helps us visually see Man, we're, we're, we're trying to have a thousand conversations. That's, by the way, that's one conversation for each, each of us once a month. You could talk about Jesus once a month. Right? Right? You could. Right? We can. This is your part of the vision. Right? You can do it. Thank you, Brother Joe. I appreciate that. Brother Joe is, is going to lead the way. I appreciate that, brother. And he is been leading the way for many years at our church, along with many others who have sacrificed to get us where we are today, amen? And um, number four, it's the dream of planting 40 churches by the year 2030. That's 10 large churches and 30 small churches. You say, Pastor, that seems kind of crazy. Yep, we're going to need to partner with some other churches to fulfill that, but I need you to know we already planted one, and we're starting number two. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That's God doing that. So the Journey Church, Pastor Nate was here. We've been supporting them. We helped plant them. They're rolling. They're rocking and rolling. And, uh, and God is blessing them and doing great things. And uh, we're going to be helping Pastor Caleb. Some of you have, have known that. And, uh, and we'll talk more about it in our family meeting in a few minutes. But, um, man, we're going to be sending Pastor Caleb out to plant a church in Little Creek. And so that's 10 larger churches, about 100 people or more. You can see that on the screen. Uh, and about uh, 30 smaller churches uh, of about 20 people or more. You know, churches come in all kinds of sizes. You don't have to meet in a room just like this to be a church. A lot of different ways to plant neighborhood churches. And, uh, and here's what we know. Here's what we know. We know that new churches reach people faster than established churches. The, the most, uh, as, as one uh, Southern Baptist writer wrote that I read this week, planting churches is the most effective evangelistic strategy because something about a new church just attracts new people. 
I don't know what it is. That's how, why people's minds work that way. They're like, oh, it's a new church? I'll go to that. You live right next door to the church that's been here for 60 years. You want to go to that? I don't know why. Just whatever. It works. We're going to keep forward with the gospel. Amen. And so we're, 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 this is our goal, right? And some of you are, are going to be raised up to help us do that. We're, we're inviting you to be a part of that. That means, uh, next slide there, David, that means we need 160 leaders. You know, 160 leaders to help lead these churches. You could be one of them and, uh, and pray that you would consider that. Number five. Number five, it's the dream of disciples who continually make disciples. The truths of God are continually modeled and shared with others in real life, not just at church, right? We're not just playing church. These disciples are going deep and deeply connected to others. They are saturated in the Bible and saturated in each other's lives. Christ is real to them every day, not just on what? Mm -hmm. It's the dream of healthy disciples, right? We're getting healthier. As we know Christ, man, he heals us. He makes us whole who are equipped to find their calling by helping them identify their spiritual gifts and talents that God gave them. Number seven, it's the dream of seeing these healthy people, these healthy disciples sent out into the world to make a difference. And it's empowering every member. How many members? Every member to make a difference where life exists. Hey, mom, I'll call you right back. It's also raising up and sending out career missionaries and pastors and other church leaders who can plant churches for generations to come. Number eight, it's the dream of stewarding our building and the land uh, that generations before us have sacrificed to provide by creating a simple yet beautiful facility and grounds that shouts the glory of God and is beneficial to our community. This includes, this is future vision here, uh, inspiring garden, green spaces. You've got a passion for that stuff that can be accessed by our neighborhood. We'd love to allow our, our neighbors to come use our, our, our land over here and, and, and let that be a testimony to the glory of God. So if you flip it over, there's some strategy there about how, how we do this. And, um, well, we're gathering together, right? We're investing and inviting our friends, our neighbors, the community. That's, that's what we're doing, and we're communicating and demonstrating the gospel. We help people grow. We help them take their next steps, baptism, salvation, membership, groups. There's a lot of other next steps. We have these classes, which we're starting a new members class soon. We do these intentionally all throughout the year because we want to help people all throughout the year take their next step. And so you can see those there. Groups, that's where, we, that's where disciples are made. And then go. We're going to send those people out. That's that's our strategy. I know it's it's crazy, right? It's it's so intricate. No, it's just basic, right? What's our win for this quarter? I'm just going to let you guys know, man. We we need some kids ministry people. We have a lot more younger people coming to our church now, and um and and we have 12 volunteers. We need about 37 total. And so we, if you're interested, this is part of of your piece of the mission. You could help serve with our uh, kids ministry guest services, man. Uh, these guys have been rocking and rolling. You see people getting food ready. That stuff doesn't magically appear, right? I don't have a little magic wand that goes like, mm, muffins and coffee. It was poof. And um, if I had that, I'd, I'd use it differently. And um, right, you you could you could you could serve you could serve food uh, once a month. You could uh, talk to those folks. Uh, we we need some some more greeters. We'd love to have you greet. Those are the first sermons ever preached, right? Um, our home groups, our community groups. Where we're looking for some new group leaders, and then. Uh, we've got some events to serve our community uh, here coming up. Our Trunk and Treat in October. Our Academy, which is uh, really our largest mission field here as we try to bless these parents and help come alongside them. Uh, we're we're going to do, uh, our, our director, Ms. Dickerson, is planning a Christmas giveaway to help needy families. And uh, we've been doing it the past, I think, two to two years, I feel like, Ms. Dickerson. And, um, man, and, and we're reaching out to those folks. And so starting in November, uh, we'll be purchasing some gifts for them, and you could be a part of that. And then we want to do... Um, some gift wrapping and, and dinner for them in December. So 
That's, that's where we're at now. That's the vision. You can participate. Or you can sit on the sidelines and watch everybody else do what God has called them to do. But I'm telling you, you'll miss out on the greatest blessings in your life because here's the last thing, number three. Why? I know you're like, I'm nervous. I'm, I'm scared. Could I do this? What's my role? Hey, number three, point number three, David will throw it up there. Use, use what you have and trust God to do the rest. Pastor, I can't, I can't speak. I can't greet. I can't, I can't sing. I can't do all these things. I'm, I'm too busy. I'm old. I'm young. I'm married. I'm single. Everybody's got an excuse, right? I'm, I got this going on. I'm just telling you, God has called you to something bigger than yourself. Use what you have and trust God to do the rest. I'm a regular person. Look, just show up. I don't know the Bible. That's okay. God can use it. I don't have a lot of money. God can use it. I don't talk very well. Neither do I. It's okay. God is already using you. We're seeing change happen here. We're seeing lives transformed by the gospel. I love what happens in the book of Ezekiel. We actually sung about it, right? Where where that new song was like, man, I want to see dry bones. And and there's this story in Ezekiel 37 I want to share with you as we close. Ezekiel 37, I've just been reading it, and I was just amazed by what I saw there. But it says this, the hand of the Lord was upon me. This is Ezekiel. And he brought me out in the spirit, the spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of what? Bones. You got to imagine, this is going to be kind of creepy, right? It's like, I'm ready for Halloween. All right, next verse, verse 38. And it says, and he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. Not sure how other dry they could have been, but I, he's making a point here. This is the valley of dry bones. Verse, uh, next verse, verse 3 there, and it says, <clears throat> and he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, what did he answer? Oh, Lord, you know, I don't know, I'm sitting in a valley of dry bones. How am I supposed to know these things can live? I'm kind of scared right now, probably, as eager as what he said. Oh, Lord, you can know. Hey, guess, was that the right answer? Yeah, he didn't say I could do it. He said, Lord, only you know. Are we sitting in a valley of dry bones here in Princess Anne Plaza in Windsor Woods in your neighborhood? Is it a valley of dry bones? Look at the next verse there and, 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 what, and what he says. Verse 4, he goes on to say, Then he said to me, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, Oh, dry bones, hear the what? The word of the Lord. But watch this. Ezekiel had a role, right? Then he said to me, what was, what was Ezekiel's role? Prophesy. You got to speak up, man. You got to speak up. Go back, go back, go back. Oh, jump ahead. Go back, go back, David. There you go, right? Prophesy over these bones. And he said to them, and, and what is he prophesying about? What is his foundation? It's the word of the Lord. It's not like, hey, this is my opinion. This is what God has said. Now, now, look what happens. Now, verse 5. We're ready, David. Thus says Lord. Here's Ezekiel's statement, okay? He's not saying, I'm saying this. He says, thus says Lord God to these bones. He's speaking to the bones. Could you imagine this? It's got to be really awkward, right? Go stand out in the graveyard and try it, right? Just go out after church, after you eat, and see if you can resurrect some, some people out of there. Um, and, um, right? Thus says the Lord. God, to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. Verse 6, it goes on. And I will lay sinews upon you. That's, that's tendons and all that. So I'll cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel's the one saying all this. He's just saying, this is what God told me to say, right? Next verse, verse 7. <clears throat> so I, what? Did he do his job? 
He used what he had, and then what's he going to do? He's going to let God do the rest, right? He's like, I don't know if this is going to work. I'm standing in the valley full of dry bones, and God told me to prophesy and make these bones come alive. I'm just going to do it. So he did his part, and now what happens? Only the Lord can do the rest, right? Let trust God to do the rest. So I prophesied, and as, as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And then that little famous kid song that will now become an earworm, right? The knee bones connected to the thigh bone, thigh bones connected to the, hear the word of the Lord. Bones. Okay, all right, so there you go. It's in your head. Um, just, you know, I didn't even do a good job. And, and then he goes on, and, and God begins to put breath in it. But each time, listen to me now, this is the point. Ezekiel has a role, and then he trusts God to do it. God, Ezekiel can't bring those people to life. Ezekiel can't bring breath into them. But God says, I want you to have a part in it. And he says that to each and every one of us. I'm going to do some, some amazing things. You think this is amazing? When, when, when dead hearts come to life in Christ, that is the greatest miracle that has ever happened. I was like, I want to see a miracle. I want to see somebody healed of cancer. Man, a, a heart that was cold and, and not beating for God and now is beating for God, that is the greatest miracle ever. And, and God is calling each of us, you, sir, ma'am, teenager, child, you've got a role. He's calling you like Ezekiel. He's calling each of us. You do your part and then watch God bring new life to where you live, to where you work and play. Imagine what that would look like in your workplace, in your home, in your school. One lady used this poem. Even if you can't get up, even if you can't walk, her name was Sarah Goodwin. She said this, Last night I took a journey to a land far across the seas. I didn't go by boat or plane, but I trusted on my knees. I saw so many people there in the depths deepest depths of sin, and Jesus told me I should go, that there were souls to win. But I said, Jesus, I can't go and work with such as these. He answered quickly, yes, you can, by traveling on your knees. He said, you pray, and I'll meet the need. You call, and I will hear. Be concerned about souls of those both far and near. And so I tried it, and I knelt in prayer. I gave up some hours of ease. I felt the Lord right by my side while traveling on my knees. As I prayed and I saw souls changed, twisted bodies healed, I saw God's workers strengthened and renewed while laboring in the field. And I said, yes, Lord, I have a job. My desire, thy will to please, I can go and heed thy call by traveling on my Wherever you are, whatever your gifts, you could pray. And God could use your prayers to change people around the world. You could be a prayer warrior for this vision, for what God is doing here. Imagine what that would look like. You've got a role. Will you step up to it, church? That's the question. Sir, ma'am, if you don't know Christ, then yeah, you're, you're, you're invited to jump on the boat. Picture a boat rolling past, and, and we're all like, hey, come get on the boat. We'll pull you up. Christ is ready to save you. Got the life raft. He is ready to reign. Come join us. We'd love to have you. When you understand that God died on the cross for your sins, your sins have offended him, and he's willing to forgive you. That's the gospel. You don't have to be an expert. You get to come right alongside and roll amongst us and, and be a helping hand. 
And so as we prepare to respond, let's continue to think through and, and live the vision. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Lord, as, as we're gathered to today seeking your face, seeking your will, Lord, I, I admit I'm just like everybody else in here. Sometimes it's easy to be on the stage with the microphone, but I know in my little head I have all the same fears these people do. Lord, can I? What, what would happen? What if this? What if that? What if I'm not good enough? Lord, we all need to remember those lies, those doubts are coming from the devil. We have a loving father with his arms stretched out saying, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your past is. I don't care what your gifts and abilities are. You're a part of my team. I called you. I chose you before the foundation of the world to be a part of my team. To turn the world right side back up again. So, Father, here we are, your people. Help us. Help us in our weakness. Help us in our forgetfulness. Lord, help us in our wandering. To God, keep our eyes focused on the vision. To, get, to be motivated always by the gospel, the love of Jesus that, that changes our hearts. Not, not the condemnation of Jesus, not guilt, but because we have been so loved. We love because you first loved us. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for this beautiful church family, Lord. Thank you for the many, many faithful saints, Lord. Some of them have been serving and carrying out the vision since longer than I've been alive. And I praise you for them. I thank you for new people who are just joining us. God, and for how you're working. We pray over our city. We pray over this world, God. As our hearts are breaking, we're thinking about all the awful things that happened, God. There are mass shootings. There is violence. There is arguments in, in our government. And there is attacks left and right. Lord, it is a discouraging scene. But, Father, when we are part of your team, we've got the victory. Lord, each one of us has a role to play. There is no role too small. Every member, a minister, every person, powerful, because they're filled with the spirit of power. So, God, we pray that you would do a mighty work in us and then through us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say amen. Let's sing together. Really?